I'm Jason Bradford. I'm Asher Miller. And I'm Rob Dietz. Welcome to Crazy Town, where Margaret Atwood, George Orwell, and Aldous Huxley tell happy fun stories around the campfire. Okay, guys, we are a few months into this pandemic now, right? And thankfully, the NFL finished last season, right? The Super Bowl happened and stuff. But I don't know about you. I've been kind of worried. Like, what's going to happen? They start training soon. And in August, there's like preseason stuff going on. And what are we going to do, right? You're actually worried about this. Like, you want to see... Uh, what, like the Cleveland concussions play against the, the New York knee sprains and just watch all these these injuries accumulate? I know you're a sissy that's a fan of what they call football in the rest of the world. But here in America, we play American football, and that involves people risking their lives to entertain us. Okay? This is this is true. As a, um, I, I will speak for the 150 pounders out there. Uh, American uh-huh. football is, is kind of like a deadly sport for us. Uh, I think it's a deadly sport for the people <laughs> who play it as well. You know, sometimes there's a crossover. There's like a there's like a little soccer player guy who can kick pretty well, and he can join the American team. But uh, anyway. I, seriously, one time I was on an elevator with some uh, offensive linemen from a yeah. professional football You were team. able to actually get on? There was room yeah, for you? I, I swear to you, I was like one of their legs, you know? Yeah. Like, they're just huge, huge people. My dad was an English teacher, and one of his former students, Bobby Ham, who played for the Houston Oilers at the time, um, came over to our house. And he, you know, he, he was a lineman for the Oilers, and he was this solely soft-spoken guy. And we, we were in the backyard, you know, cooking up burgers, and he had like four, and we're like, and we're like, <laughs> hey Bobby, sack. we're like, hey Bobby, you, you know, how you doing? You need any more food? He's like, oh well, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you got any more, he like four more. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm like ten. I'm just like, ah, <laughs> it's so cool. Did I ever tell you guys about my hit and run incident with a with a, a player for the San Francisco 49ers? Oh no, which no. one? He, he hit my car. I remember the guy's name. He, I think he was a backup. <laughs> he hit my car and then took off. And uh I chased him down and I was like so mad, right? Yeah. And he had he thought he lost me, so he got <laughs> out of his car and I was gonna like scream at the guy. And then I, I roll up and I realize <laughs> this is this enormous Samoan <laughs> mountain of a man, right? <laughs> And that totally changed my mind. I was like 18 years old. All of my, you know, uh, my bravery, yeah. bravado went, went away. <laughs> yeah. 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 So these guys are heroes to all of us, of course. And the worry is that they can't beat each other's heads in this uh, this fall. And But guess what? What would um, we do? I mean, it's I know. Like a loss. I know. But two, but two major corporations, the NFL which is the American football. NFL is uh, actually a nonprofit organization, by the way. <laughs> oh, that's that's ridiculous. Anyhow, yeah. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're teaming in with Oakley. Apparently, they like work on sports gear and like protective gear for professionals. They're going to integrate something that'll get the NFL going. N95 face masks incorporated into players' uniforms. <laughs> what? What? Yes. Yes. They're putting an N95 mask right into the helmet. Yes. Have you ever used an N95 mask? Really hard to breathe through them. Yeah. I mean, they have to be yeah. fit, form-fitted to your face. These guys are running 
right. full tilt hitting each other. Or they're 300 pound people pushing each other together like, like rams, like in a mating ritual. Are they serious? This could be a good thing, right? It'll end all the knee problems, all the concussions, because they won't, they'll just all be passed out on the <laughs> yeah, field. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sit, hike, and all the linemen are just <laughs> down on the dirt. Face down. The game's been I've called. got no protection. The safeties are coming in, tackling the quarterbacks. <laughs> that is, that's insane. Wow, the lengths that yeah. these institutions will go. Yeah, when their survival's at stake. That's about. You know, that's that's what it just. Is. That's astonishing. Wow. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty insane. You got to think that uh, there are bigger priorities than grown men trying to crush each other. But uh, what do I know? <laughs> Yeah, but this is what it's all about. It's about getting back to what we're used to, to the, what thrilled us, the world we inhabited before. But the lengths that people go for survival. We'll do anything. Do you guys remember that movie that was made about this this guy who was out hiking um, by himself, Aaron Ralston? Yes. Now you're you're talking my language, Share. You're talking survival stories. I could just spout them yes. off. You're talking about Go 127 ahead. hours. James Franco plays Aaron Ralston. Yeah, hiking up the is... canyon. Boulder falls on his arm, pins him, and he he has to cut his own arm off to get out of there. Yeah, I was afraid. I was I, I was afraid to. There was a, like an article I read about it. I was afraid to watch the movie. I just I I'm too squeamish. Yeah, I didn't watch the movie either, but. That's obviously one of those stories of the the lengths. And we, we talked earlier about Ernest Shackleton and his group and yeah. and the lengths that they, they went to survive. And remember, we brought up Douglas Moss and duct taping his, the right. soles of his feet back on so he could walk across Antarctica after his dog sled uh, fell apart. But I mean, so obviously the survival instinct is a powerful one, right? And uh, it's hard for me to imagine trying to basically saw my arm off with a little pocket knife or whatever the hell Ralston had. That's just I'll insane. I'll do that for you if you want. Oh, will you? Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but there's a big difference between that. You're an individual and and you're willing to basically take this, this risk and experience this pain because it's your only hope for survival. And something like, you know, an institution like the NFL or another corporation, because in their case... It's not the owners of these of these NFL franchises or Goodell, um, the commissioner right. of the NFL, who are, who are risking their lives, you know what I mean, to play this game. They're risking the lives of, of others, yeah. uh, a large number of them African-Americans. So it's uh, it's interesting in the context of... Well, that's just the players. And then there's the fans, of course, who are, you know, I don't think it's that safe to be screaming wild, rooting on your... Um, sure. But even if they decided to do games without fans there, you know, right, I mean, it's right. like, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm wearing N95 masks while trying to play football. <laughs> well, it's interesting that you that you bring up sports. I often will look at sports stuff as a break from, you know, whatever the real topics of the day, the stuff we talk about in this podcast. And recently I was looking at some stuff from my my old hometown basketball team, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, it's the professional team. And uh, it was a statement released by their owner, this guy named Tony Ressler. Uh, of course, he's a billionaire. He owns the team and he owns the arena that they play in. And he actually released this, this pretty nice statement about these times where we're dealing with such racial tensions. 
And uh, I wanted to read you guys what he said. He said, this is a time when all of us need to focus on this critical and all too pervasive human issue, systemic racism. To be as blunt as possible on this topic of dignity, decency, and progress, I emphatically believe that you are either part of the solution or you are the problem. Black Lives Matter, there is no in-between. We as an organization and part of the Atlanta community are determined to be part of the solution. So, you know, that's, that's kind of nice. And, and, and he goes on to say that as the owners of a professional sports franchise, we have a responsibility to take a stand and devote our resources to supporting programming and causes that bring about the most impactful changes possible. And, and he even brings up inequality and, and financial disparity in the statement that he released. And I, I read that and my initial thought was, well, that's cool that he's expressing solidarity. And, but then I was like, maybe he's just in survival mode too. Like I need my organization that I own to look good. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, if you really mean all that and you want to make things more equal, then how about starting with changing things by changing your freaking ownership structure. Yeah. How about transferring the team to the city of Atlanta, maybe without even further padding your already massively padded pockets? Like that, like the Green Bay Packers. Let's get back to, let's talk about American football again. That's right. Yeah. The only publicly owned major league professional team in, in the United States. We got a good mm. precedent for that. Yes. Well, this is a fascinating because yeah, how much of this is sort of posturing for the times, right? Okay, there's been an amazing power shift and dynamics happen in the last week or two, really, with what's going yeah. on. And all, I mean, Mitt Romney is marching with Black Lives Matter protesters. I mean, it's pretty astounding. And there's talk about uh, shifting funds from police departments into social services. I mean, there's a sense of reform. And so... I think it'd be really interesting to see, like, are we really seeing change or not? Or are we seeing posturing? Are we seeing people just talking about what, need, you know, because uh, Chuck Collins, our, we had him on the show last year. He's a close friend of us at PCI. And how these billionaires are just getting richer and richer. And yeah. these protests have been not just about the injustice in the police system, but about broader issues are getting brought up. I think you're right to bring that up, Jason. Is it posturing? Is it a real change of heart? I don't know in the case of Tony Ressler and the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, he may be sincere. Uh, yeah. However, I would guess based on you know, what you brought up originally, the idea that here we have institutions like the NFL yeah. going to unbelievable lengths to survive, Yes, that it would never enter his mind that the change we need is a wholesale change in the system. Therefore, yeah. I'm giving up ownership. I'm not going to make more billions off of the, the billions I already own. Any guesses, by the way, at, at how uh, Tony Ressler made his money? Oh, it's got to be in finance, hedge fund, yeah. kind of you, thing like that. You're, you're right in there. Yep. He's, uh, it, he, he worked in private equity, uh, you know, made the Forbes list. I, I even looked up his um, profile in Forbes, and they have a philanthropy score. It's a five-point scale. He he got a two, uh, so oh, no. he's 
Maybe he's about to step it up, though, with uh, with these public statements he's issuing. Okay, so, um, you know, the adaptive cycle, we're in this light conservation phase, probably in the U.S., right, where... Yeah, we've talked about this before, previous episodes. Yeah, things are, they're trying to hold on to power, right? But things are, it's starting to crumble. And we're thinking that we're entering maybe a uh, partial collapse phase right now. And so what you're seeing potentially from this drive for normalcy is is trying to go back in a hold on in this late conservation. And then you're seeing these other forces calling for radical demolition of of what of the system that has led to the to the phase we're in and a release in a sense so that we can reorganize in a more sane way that has more equality and more ecological realism so yeah it's it's fascinating what's going on right now yeah and it's it's easy to pick on a guy like wrestler i think it's probably true that for most people who have been fairly comfortable let's say with the system as it has been, right? Who have benefited from it, want things to go back to the way that they were, right? And so there's a lot of bargaining happening here in terms of, okay, well, we'll all wear masks or in the case of the NFL doing what sounds like a ridiculous thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, there's various forms of trying to bargain and adjust. But the key thing there is, you know, is it about trying to get back to what we had with slight cosmetic changes, or is it about a fundamental shift that we need to go through? And a lot of that comes down to people's understanding of of the forces at play. It's we're not just dealing with the pandemic here. You know, we're dealing with all kinds of of systems that are basically at our breaking point. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up because the whole notion of you can use the adaptive cycle to look at how these organizations are trying to hang on to power, the the idea that it, we need to look at broader systems. It's almost like a microcosm of the topics we've covered this season. You know, things like uh, that we all need to make a shared sacrifice. You know, you're not going to solve systemic issues with one person delivering one technology or something like that. Uh, the whole notion of thinking of what is the the, the political nature of things when when scarcity exerts itself. Jason, you talked a lot about work that um, ecologist William Ophuls did in, in the past and thinking that through. We came up with this framing of denial and delusion and how the right is often denying problems, whereas the left is often delusional about the solutions. Yeah. Yeah. How easy the solutions are going to be. And I think all of that comes to bear right now on what you're talking about with these just surreal times that we're in and this desire to get back to normal. Mm -hmm. So our podcast is called Crazy Town, right? And we started it because we felt like, well, we had this question, are we crazy or is the world around us crazy? Because nothing <laughs> makes sense about the way that we're living with the knowledge that we have. Are we allowed to select both are yeah. crazy? Is that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Is that above, on the table too? <laughs> Definitely possible. Um, but it's, uh, it's actually kind of crazy how much things have changed since we started. I mean, we recorded our first batch of episodes before the coronavirus pandemic. In November, I think we were starting. Yeah, end of 2019 and the early part of 2020. And it's 
all the things that we we talked about early on, you know, we're talking about crazy extreme tourism and travel. We're talking about globalization. Vegas is back open for business, by the way, right right, now. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Um, So all these things, uh, you know, we talked about rationing as this kind of almost inconceivable, far off or far (laughs) in the distant past possibility. And here we are. All of these things have changed dramatically. Now, yes, we are clamoring to get back to normal. And it's also kind of crazy making to just recognize. I have this, this experience myself, which is sort of this wearing down of the urgency. You know, like I find myself becoming more and more complacent. It's not just because we're getting, being given signals that we can go back to doing what you're doing and that push to get back to normal and get at this V-shaped recovery of the economy and all these things. It's also just over time, the the sense of urgency, we're wired, right? Right. When there's an emergency or a threat, we're highly attuned to that, you know? In the very first weeks, I was checking my kid's temperature three times a day, which is probably (laughs) ridiculous I was doing that. Yes, I don't even know where the thermometer is right now. You know, it's like, um, so we all have that, I think, that tendency of wanting to sort of get back to what we were doing. And it's crazy. It's crazy to watch that. It's crazy to see that in, in action. Well, I've got a little treat for you guys because I have been hearing all over the place, online, on the news, on everybody's mind, that notion of let's get back to normal. And this was not difficult at all. I just prepared a small clip that I'd like to share with you guys. Okay. These are not normal times. The whole world is in a pandemic right now. And we all want to return to normalcy. 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 But we need to start getting things back to normal. Everyone has been asking, when will things just go back to normal? Normality, as it was before, uh, will not come back full on until we get a vaccine for this. The virus will decide the timing of when we go back to normal. Uh, When do we get back to normal? I don't think we get back to normal. I think we get back or we, we, we get to a new normal. I love that. Yeah. Forget normal. Let's get to new normal. Yes. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> what the hell does that even mean, new normal? Is that, do we just walk around with masks or whatever and, you know, hand sanitizer? Like That's, that's normal's little brother, new normal, you know? I just can't chest bump everybody I meet anymore. No, yeah. you can't French kiss them either. I know yeah. you were really into that, Jason. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It's uh, for some reason, and maybe it's because we're talking about Ralston. Aaron Ralston cut his you know arm off to 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 survive. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit about that. I don't. know. I was a Monty Python geek when I was younger, yes. so I don't yes. know if you guys ever saw the Holy Grail. There's this scene with this with this black knight, you know, who's basically there and he's blocking the way and says, you cannot pass, you know, and there's this battle that that happens and the Black Knight's arm is cut off. And so suddenly like, uh, okay, now I can pass, right? No, he keeps fighting, you know, right. uh, maybe we could play that clip too. Yeah, yeah, I could get that one. Okay. Here, let's, let's, let's give that a listen. <laughs> I move for no man. So be it. Now stand aside, worthy adversary. Tis but a scratch. 
A scratch? Your arm's off. No, it isn't. Well, what's that, then? I've heard worse. You liar! Come on, you pansy! <laughs> Victory is mine! We thank thee, Lord, that in thy mercy... <laughs> Come on, then. What? How at you? You are indeed brave tonight, but the fight is mine. Oh, had enough, eh? Look, you stupid bastard, you've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look! Just a flesh wound. <laughs> Just a flesh wound. V-shaped recovery. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just get right back to normal. Right. Yeah, uh, no, no worries. Okay, so, look, if if that's one scenario that everybody's pining for uh i'm gonna go way way out on a limb and say that the three of us are not quite on board with that uh we're, we're probably more in the andrew cuomo camp that we got to find something different to do right yeah I, although i'm a little skeptical of cuomo's idea of of new normal too but yeah, sure, yeah i'm not i don't, I don't want to uh say that he's got the idea that's uh, in line with ours i'm just uh, just yeah. stopping it that we got to do something different i mean yes jason you and i were talking uh i think it's been a couple weeks but like how much serious damage is being done obviously to public health and the people who have gotten sick the economic turmoil that is resulting and is likely to have a very long-term lasting effect on on livelihoods and on people's ability to meet their needs. And of course, now the social chaos that, that we've got is, uh, as people try to reckon with, uh, with yeah. the police brutality and the institutionalized and, and systemic racism that's yeah, yeah. obviously still running rampant in our, in our country and, and around the world. Just some perspective. We did a tourism, ep- a, a extreme travel tourism episode earlier, right? This season. And we, in yeah. that, we had the stat, 10% of GDP is the travel and tourism industry. So 10% of GDP, imagine that getting cut in half, right? Which it's probably right. at least gone that far and, and probably worse. But even that, that would be considered calamitous for the economy, right? Yeah. And that is not going to come back anytime soon, of course. So just that one sector. It reminds me of um, the uh, University of Minnesota public health professor, one of these kind of renowned folks who's been very outspoken about the risk of pandemic for a long time, uh, Michael Osterholm, yes, uh, who's one of the people I turn to a lot to try to understand what's been going on. He even just recently basically said, look, we're in the second inning of a nine inning game. Yes. That's the thing is here we are opening things up, people sort of saying, hey, we got through this, you know, we did a great job. There was a recent, I think it was published in Journal Nature, a paper that came out and said we may have saved sixty million infections right through these the these efforts that we did. Uh, no, I think I think it might have been uh, broader than that. But okay. But the point is that those things they had a huge economic toll and and right. other forms of of serious co- you know consequences. But it did save a lot of lives. But here we are, kind of reopening things up right now. I mean. I don't know when we're going to come back for season three of Crazy Town, but I wouldn't bet against us still being in in the pandemic land. You know, right, somehow yeah. going through that through the that that desert for a while. By the time we come back, you know, this You're is right. still early days. So the idea yeah. that we're going to get back to normal is just right. 
And something we can do is do a bonus episode check in if something significant happened. We can call forth a crazy town bonus episode over the yeah, summer. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about some plans for, for how we're going to go forward at the end of this recording. But two points to make here. One, first of all, congratulations on bringing the third major American sport into the conversation. We got football, basketball, and now you brought up a baseball reference with the, uh, the innings there. That was that was well done. Yeah, uh, that was, check that off the list. We're done here. Woo! <laughs> What about hockey? Poor hockey. hockey. (laughs) Well, I was going to say no golf because I'm not even sure that's a sport. That's not a sport. Getting back to your point, Asher, of like this is going to go on for a while and there isn't uh, a getting back to normal. And would we want to go back to normal when when normal wasn't working that great anyway for uh, for a lot of people and certainly for the environment? No, we got to start doing some things really differently, right? Well, that's what I think we should be thinking about, right? Like things have been tossed up in the air a little bit, right? And th- and there's a lot of reshuffling going on and there's new ideas. This is what we talked about also with like during crisis, new ideas can suddenly gain traction because they don't seem as bizarre as they used to. Or old ideas that were just marginal and ignored. That's true. That's what I should say. Most of these aren't really new ideas, but they seem new because now they're suddenly right. timely. And uh, so Amsterdam, for example, I saw in the news, this was a couple months ago. Hey, man, those are my people. I know. Yes. Uh, Amsterdam adopted donut economics, which tastes great. (laughs) That's a a Dunkin' Donuts on every corner of Amsterdam now, right? Yeah, it's a wonderful public health exercise. Yeah, (laughs) you you get carbs, you get fats, uh, you can make them colorful. So um, I know what you're talking about with donut economics. That's Kate Rayworth. Oh, Kate Rayworth. Yeah, go ahead. You explain. Okay, sure. So Kate Rayworth is an economist out of the UK, and she came up with this framework for the economy, which uh, maybe unlike a donut is actually really elegant. The idea is that the inner ring of the donut represents this social floor, almost like the things that we need to live good lives, like education and security and and making sure our basic physical needs are met. And fatty, carbaceous, sweet breakfast treats. Right, right. So, so then the outer ring of this donut represents the environmental boundaries that you cannot transgress without risking the life support systems of the planet, things like a, a stable and, and healthy climate system, uh, soils that are fertile, plenty of fresh water, stuff like that. So the idea is there's a space in between the actual uh, breakfast treat part of the donut that you're talking about that is like a safe operating space for humanity. It's where we're meeting our needs, but we're not beating the hell out of the planet so you're saying Amsterdam is taking that framework and trying to apply it to decision making within their economy. In response to the pandemic. I mean, they're yeah. seeing this as now an opportunity, a new moment, right? To think differently. Yeah. Now, I hope this, I mean, this is, again, you know, I worry about all these things is I've been through situations where people, you know, towns and counties and states sign up for climate action programs and promise they're going to do something. But the underlying systems that support economic growth and inequality, those don't get changed. So there's there's these proclamations of good intentions. And so you wonder if there's now a confluence where there's enough breakdown that 
the system has to be reformed, right? It can't just yeah. persist, even though you want to change how things are going. Is there now an opportunity? Well, look, I'm, I'm biased here, right? So I'm going to believe that this is true. <laughs> and I, I was born in the Netherlands. The Dutch are my people. My mother uh -huh. lives in Amsterdam. And on my father's side of the family, I come from a line of donut makers. Okay? Oh, so this I is like no right idea. in my wheelhouse story, you know, and, and is a miller because you would grind things to powder to make donut flour. <laughs> no, no. They, they yeah. used to mill sprinkles in the Miller family. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this is a this is not a commonly known story. I was actually with Kate when she came up with this idea. We were actually, wow. yeah, in a donut shop, you know. And I was like, "Hey, which one of these do you want?" And and she picked one. And she's like, "Oh, you know, I yeah. just I was just reading all this stuff from yeah. Rockstrom and these other guys." Oh, he got me. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm calling bullshit on that as well. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, honestly. You know, I, I, I get your, not necessarily your cynicism, but your guardedness here, Jason, right. because we've seen a lot of people, again, it's it's that idea of people trying to say, oh, yeah, we recognize this dire threat. We recognize this big change. We're going to try to fit this in somehow and right. respond to it, but we're going to do it in the, in the context of everything else operating the way it had been, right? right. And yes. when you realize things like, climate change, you know, climate breakdown, breakdown of our environmental systems, you know what right. I mean, or hitting finite limits, you know, in terms of resources, or you hit these limits in terms of the acceptance of a population to tolerate widespread discrimination, discrimination, racism, violence against them. You know, when you hit these breaking points, yeah. to think that you could just somehow acknowledge them adjust to them a little bit, but maintain the system that you currently have. It's it's in interesting that when you recognize these things as being fundamentally broken and, in fact, existential threats to our collective well-being, the idea of going back to normal should actually be seen as getting back to crazy. It yeah. is crazy to think that what we were doing was normal, right, and could continue. Now, fortunately and unfortunately, here we are in this moment I don't know what the next days, weeks, months are going to open up for us. None of this had I predicted, even as we've gone along week by week in this pandemic, you know, now the rise of, of the protest movement, we're going to be facing elections coming up in the United mm -hmm. States. There's so much here that's coming our way that yeah, we have no idea how it's going to unfold. Yeah, I think we have to recognize that there aren't easy answers. There's going to need to be a lot. And we've talked about this. We talked about this when we talked about denial on the right and delusion on the left. There are no simple answers to these things. We are going to have to figure out how to navigate a lot of these challenges. You're right. It's not simple to integrate an N95 mask into a football helmet, right? <laughs> no. but we've got to navigate the challenges that are in front of us and do what it takes. <laughs> a point I want to reiterate that we made earlier this season uh, again that we haven't hit yet is the Goldilocks potential right. of the crisis we're in. And we talked about that strictly mentioning the pandemic, you know, right. like, is this crisis big enough to actually push us to do things like adopt the framework of donut economics in Amsterdam? Yeah. Is this the right size movement, basically where you get action, but you don't take on so much damage that 
that you're not coming back from it. And look, our crisis, at least in the United States, has just, hate to call it upgraded, but, you know, leveled up based on what's happening with, with racial tensions. So it makes you wonder, yeah, are we in that Goldilocks range of let's get the changes we need? And let's Let's name the changes that are needed. It's our neoliberal, capitalist, overly exploitative economy that's pushed us into uh, pretty much all of this crisis. Uh, Now, again, what you're saying is, Cher, there's no easy solution. I can't just name, oh, just uh, throw throw away uh, market-based neoliberal capitalist economy and, and put something better in its place. I mean, it's not so easy to put something better in its place. It's not so easy. We talked about the survival mode. You can't just say that that the capitalist institutions aren't going to be in that survival mode trying to hold on to what they've got. Yeah. But recognizing that that's, that's basically the fight. We've got the normal that people are trying to go back to is a necrotic. Is that is that the right word? It's a necrotic system that is basically eating our life support systems generating so much inequality, uh, was founded on institutional racism to begin with. So to think about going back to that is is insane. Maybe uh, you take some of the good parts of it, whatever that might be, and pull it out. But fundamentally, we need a different system. Right. Just like you, like you said, Rob, not only are there not easy answers here, I think we have to live in this and I'm thinking about us, you know, as individuals. I'm thinking about our listeners as well. We have to live in this uncertain, ambiguous space between recognizing that there's going to be a lot of discontinuity that's going to be, that's, that's already been happening. It's going to continue to happen. A lot of it is uncontrollable. It's beyond our ability to control it. It's in some ways beyond our ability to kind of grasp it because we're dealing with these complex systems all interacting with one another and we don't know where the bubble is going to crop up. And and so we have to sort of navigate these really, really churning waters and we have to do it in a way where we're where we're responding to the, you know, again, I'm going to use this maybe bad metaphor of whitewater rafting, you know, this rock looming up ahead. We've got to kind of prepare for that coming and and kind of shift the boat a little bit. But we also have to have our eyes on the horizon to where we're trying to end up. Yeah. And it's both an immediate and a, and a medium and a long-term thing. And and the thing to hold on to, part of the thing to hold on to is, is our empathy. There are bad actors out there. There are people who are who are hell bent on maintaining their power, on exploiting other people and exploiting nature. They are in some ways unreachable for us. Right. But the most most people are not that way. No, you most know? people and are I, not. And I have to believe that part of the reason why we've seen so many people out on the streets recently in the United States, and by the way, in countries all over the world, I know. you know, That's showing amazing. solidarity. Um, is because we've we've seen through this pandemic that it affects all of us. It doesn't affect all of us proportionally, but we're all invested in this thing, you know, and yeah. we have to hold on to our empathy, even with the people who are not there with us yet in terms of recognizing the changes that need to be made. Yeah, now I think let's let's turn the conversation to what maybe the three of us are doing or what we're thinking about in our own lives and our communities, because... I agree. Like, there's a lot we have to do as individuals, for example. I, I feel like 
this is a point where we can step up and be a voice for all these issues. But we also have to realize, like you were talking about, Ashera, is that there's, it's a time of great stress. There's a type, this, this uncertainty, this volatility is stressful. So I think one of the things that I've been thinking about is self-care, right, in terms of being eating really well, making sure I sleep really well. And that, that kind of is the best medicine, right? And this first came up in the context of like, I don't want to get sick, right? I don't want to be able to fight off any virus. But it also has to do with dealing with the society we're in right now and the stresses we're under. All those are good practices. Yeah. And so it's sort of stealing yourself so that you're a healthy individual that's strong, that it can be present when you're needed. I just want to add on to that for a sec, because I think it also gives you some power an agency, uh, obviously over your own health, but also agency to to avoid having to engage in our broken healthcare system. You right. know, obviously, the healthier you are, the more you can cut yeah. out the need to you know to hit that hospital and yeah. And and by the way, I mean, I, th- I think we do have to recognize that not everyone is is in as uh, privileged a, a position as we are in terms of having those choices available to us. Yeah. But I would I would also add that part of the self care is is actually getting out into into nature. Yes, I mean this is one of those things where we happen to be here. Th- those of us in the northern hemisphere, we're coming into summer, and uh, we know that with the with the virus, the risks are are reduced when you're outdoors. So take advantage of that and and be out in nature and reconnect to nature if you're mm-hmm. able to do that. And I, I started took up some meditation practice too, which really helped me if I'm starting to get anxious about things, you know, and I realize that I'm spinning in my head too much, helping me get more present and grounded. And really, it's just getting out of that cycle where you're not able to calmly, reasonably deal with situations. And so that's what we want is we want to have the ability to say, take control of our, our thinking process, damp down the emotions when they're not helpful for you. It's not that emotions aren't needed. But they can they can run you can run away with you in your thinking process. Maybe I can pick up meditation to help with this idea I've been wrestling with, which is letting go. So our whole theme here is that what we think of this whole idea of getting back to normal is really the idea is that's getting back to crazy. Yeah. If we're not going to be striving for a return to what we had, then we better be able to let go of it. So. You know, and there's there's different levels of that, right? I mean, are you letting go of, uh, say, retirement accounts if you've got that? Are you letting go of the way you used to go to your job or the way you used to shop for food or the way we transport ourselves? Or, you know, wh- what right. are the things that you can let go of, uh, especially those that tend to burn more fossil fuels? Disney World's back open, by the way. Disney World's back open. Yeah, so... We're we're saying let go of everything but Disney. Disney okay, right? thank right. you. Yes, and and cruise ships. Yes, yeah. 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 Take a Disney cruise. You yeah. it's the catch all. But <laughs> no, I mean, I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, how do I let go of those things in a healthy way where I feel good about it that I'm moving on to something potentially better or at least something life saving as opposed yeah. to no, I got to get back to the way it was. Yeah, get your dopamine kicks on things that are life-affirming and socially responsible in this day and age, right? And giving. Yeah, And giving. Right. I mean, we actually are one of those families that got our stimulus check in the mail, and we didn't need it 
Mm-hmm. And we gave both of our sons, you know, we have two kids and, uh, and so we got $500 each for them and we gave them the opportunity to figure out what they wanted to give that money to. Yeah. That was, I think for them a little like overwhelming in a sense, but also yeah. just a really an opportunity to feel like there was some way that they had some agency in this crisis. So you didn't design an experiment like here's 250 buy whatever you want from Amazon and here's 250 give it away and then measure their actual dopamine response. That would have been interesting actually. That would have been interesting. <laughs> I would have probably regretted that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You'd, you'd had 10 puppies in your house. It's just a yeah. bunch of plastic crap that made them happy for a little while, but the dopamine spike was probably pretty high. It would have been pretty high on that one. Right. Well, I wanted to also bring up an article that we shared around recently from the environmental activist Rex Weiler, who's a, mm. an outstanding writer as well. And in his article, he actually started it by mentioning our friend Nate Hagens in the class that he teaches at the University of Minnesota called Reality 101, which touches on the kinds of stuff we talk about in Crazy Town. So kudos to both Nate and to Rex Weiler for this. Rex's article, he was kind of talking about, hey, when people hear about the stuff that Nate teaches or the the things that we talk about in this podcast, they're often left with, great, now I know all this stuff. What the hell am I supposed to do with that? Right. And so Rex actually took it upon himself to to write this up and list a whole whole bunch of ways that you can work on developing the new society, the new economy, the protected environment that we all need. Yeah. And you know, I don't want to just run through his article, but I I did want to point out that there's a chunk in there where he talks about how institutions really try to survive and that we need to change that. And so what he said in there was few institutions like the idea of getting smaller, simplifying, or reversing the scale of human activity. So we have to become activists to actually make that happen. And he, he listed a few ideas like finding ways to reduce consumption and especially frivolous consumption figuring out how you can reduce your energy demand and eliminate your reliance on fossil fuels. This one was really interesting. He talked about helping to run campaigns that end militarism Mm. and the weapons industries. So lots of ways that you can think about these big institutions that are hell bent on surviving. You know, how can we erode them? You know, it's kind of, I almost feel it's, it's akin to ripping down those statues of Confederate leaders and, trying to chip away at these institutions that that we don't need anymore, that shouldn't be the normal. I, I like this because, you know, it's hard to say, here's what you should do, because everyone is in a different situation. But yeah. when you have a systems view of the world and you really like take stock of yourself and take care of yourself and your household, the people around you, then you can figure out what's what's the right way for me to engage here and now. And and I think that's what I would just recommend that people do an assessment of, right? And leave it as a as a question that you're constantly asking yourself and mm-hmm. engaging. I mean, I think we have to remain flexible. We have to somehow navigate with agility and humility mm-hmm. and also recognize that we can't go it alone. So we we put out a hand to other people, figuratively here and now, and we ask for help when we need it because there is no way we're going to work our way through kind of these turbulent times 
without doing it together. Right. I, I think there is an inoculation that happens to some degree, at least I've experienced it, that comes from having already grappled with the reality that the world that we've lived in was not only not non-ideal, but inevitably going to come to an end. Right. Knowing that without necessarily saying, oh, it's going to happen. And I'm not saying it's happening in 2020, but it's going to happen in this in 2020. And it's going to be caused by this outbreak and blah, right. blah, 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 blah. You know, you don't need to know those things to just have come to some sort of acceptance of letting go, like you said, Rob. And we need people out there who have, in some ways, a sense of calm about that and have processed that a little bit to serve as guides for for others who are losing their minds a little bit yeah. in all this craziness. Well said, Asher. Thanks for that. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us during this surreal second season of Crazy Town. We're at the end of it and want to say thanks. And thanks especially to those of you who have supported the podcast financially. Even though we're at our finale, we've got some big things right around the corner I want to tell you about. For starters, we're going to have our first ever Crazy Town Hall, which is a chance to visit with... Uh, Socially distance. We're doing this virtually, folks. Do not come to Corvallis, Oregon. Yeah, this is an invitation to visit with us uh, in a webinar. And the date for that is July 9th at 10 a.m. Pacific. And the way to get your invitation to this Crazy Town Hall, as we're calling it, is to make a monthly donation to help us keep bringing you this podcast. With your support, we are looking forward to a third season of Crazy Town in 2021. And judging by the way things have gone in 2020, we're going to need that season to, uh, to process whatever it is that's happening in this topsy-turvy world. So if you want to make a donation and get your invitation to the webinar, please go to www.postcarbon.org slash support crazy town or click the support the show link in your podcast app. Once again, if you need that URL, it is www.postcarbon.org slash support crazy town. We are also going to have a few more things to share this year. We're planning some bonus episodes from some other podcasts, including one, Jason, uh, in which you gave an unusually articulate interview. Really? I can't explain what happened. I can't believe that. I don't know how this happened. Yeah. Play that. Play that. Yeah, I need you to play that. We will get that to our listeners. And look, I, I just want to give a personal thanks to you, Jason, and you, Asher, even with all this systems thinking and resilient science and the other lenses that we use to have these conversations, I feel like we've been caught off guard in 2020, especially by totally. the speed at which changes are reverberating across the world. And I really, really appreciate getting to do this project with both of you. It was nice to have you guys in the studio, <laughs> but... I, th I want to thank you, Rob, for figuring out how we can do this and do it with decent audio quality. So thanks a lot for figuring out these technical issues. Yeah, and I, I didn't really get much out of talking with the two of you, but I really do appreciate <laughs> having a chance to speak. You yeah. Know? My kids yeah. don't listen to me anymore. Um, my wife just, you know, rolls her eyes. So it's uh, it's nice to have this this captive audience. You, you think we're not you know. rolling our eyes? <laughs> I could see you, you know. 
<laughs> Our audience can't see you, but I can see you. Put your finger down. Okay. <laughs> we started this podcast, I think, in part for very selfish reasons, and that was because the world felt insane, and it was really helpful to talk to other people who feel the same way about it. Maybe we're all in the loony bin together, and we have no idea. But it's nice to have companions on this on this journey, and hopefully, you know. It's uh, meant something for our listeners as well. We really appreciate hearing from our listeners. So if you have anything you want to share, definitely shoot us a line. Um, and we'll look forward to to coming back yeah. soon. Hopefully the world will still be functional yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we come back. All right. See you next time in Crazy Town. <laughs> <laughs>